Hello and welcome to Brass Bands on the Record. My name's Mark Good, and along with Lily McCluskey, this podcast series will see us chatting to some of the most well-known faces from the world of brass music making. And Lily, our first episode is a bumper edition, isn't it? Hi Mark, yes, that's right. The first episode of Brass Bands on the Record sees us chatting to one of the most recorded trombone players in the history of banding, the principal trombonist of the world-famous Black Dyke band, Brett Baker. Brett's enjoyed a lengthy tenure in the trombone hot seat at Black Dyke, and he reflects on that in this episode, from contesting successes to performing everywhere from Bermuda to Glastonbury with the famous Queensbury band. He chats about commissioning new music for the trombone, which has been a big priority for him, looks back at his musical roots, and even reveals why he was a millionaire's gardener. But first, Brett tells Mark how he's been enjoying his summer so far. It's been relatively busy, but it's not been silly. I've actually been able to enjoy it, and I've been able to have a good pace, which is unusual because... Normally, I can't remember my own name. I'm so exhausted. But this year, it's 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 been good pace. We've had enough jobs to keep me occupied and busy. And I've had about three weekends off. Normally, I'd get one. And uh, it seems to be that things are slowing down a little bit. And so that's not a bad thing. Uh, I'd rather do quality rather than quantity these days. It's interesting that you talk about the structure of your summer because I was going to ask you about that. I'm sure you'll have various summer schools and and other things to keep you occupied. But as far as your playing is concerned, what does summer look like for you? Because you're someone who has the instrument on the face so much. When the summer comes, do you keep at it? Or, oh, I see a trombone in the shot. I guess that answers that question. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm rarely without the trombone in the car. I've got one here that's here all the time, but then I've got another one in a case. You might even be able to see it right at the back there. So I've always got a trombone with me. Uh, So I was down in Andover on Friday, for instance, and uh, doing a concert there near Basingstoke, then needed to get to Cornwall, did a concert in Cornwall with uh, Black Dyke Band, and then had a day off because it was my birthday. But I still played for about... I don't know. I played for about 30 minutes. I wouldn't say it was, I wouldn't say it was fantastic, but I keep my lip in. I play every day and I make sure that I play every day. And it's very, very rare that I don't play. And that can vary from 15 minutes to an hour and a half. And, and that keeps me, um, sort of match fit i would suggest and then a lot of the other things that i do because i'm a a great believer in that you can't just say oh well i've had a rehearsal tonight so because rehearsals for me aren't practice that's just turning up and playing that's not practice so i try and also practice on the days where i'm uh, i have rehearsals but then of course the other thing is and you'll know what this is like uh if you're conducting a band then that's your evening gone so i've got to find time in the day to also practice to then go to band because my band rehearsals about an hour and 15 minutes away and then uh, the where i play is about an hour and 20 minutes away so i spend most of my time in the car so i need a little trombone in the car <laughs> that i could play that that would be awesome Well, you've enjoyed this incredible longevity, Brett, as a trombone player at the very highest level. And barring a brief sabbatical, you've been principal trombone of Black Dyke, of course, for more than two decades. Can you believe it's been quite that long? Uh, 
in a word, no. I gave it 12 months, and I remember saying to everybody, uh, I'm only going to do this for 12 months. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a big commitment, and uh, it, it's it's uh, everybody assumes, and I guess in a lot of cases it probably is, everybody assumes that it's a very high profile and therefore a very stressful thing to do. For whatever reason, I think that uh, when you're in the band, you're sort of shielded, or I certainly feel uh from my point of view i'm quite shielded in a way because um the emphasis in black dyke whether rightly or wrongly is always going to be on the solar corner and the solar euphonium player so then you're always going to be you know there's a pecking order and so i know where i sit in that pecking order and it doesn't matter how good i get then if there's a concerto coming up then it's going to be going in a different direction often um but i in in fairness i have and in all seriousness i've had lots of opportunities with nick to play big pieces and if i played in a wind band or an orchestra i certainly wouldn't be standing up every concert and playing solos and i wouldn't be doing uh the the amount of premieres that i've done over the last 20 years so it's it's very useful um, to me, it keeps me motivated. It keeps me practicing. So I like uh, the busyness of that. I like the fact that I can do new commissions. I can get the opportunity to play in some really fabulous concert halls. Um, and even though um, I think there has been, if if we're all brutally honest, I think there's been a lot of adjustments since COVID and a lot of bands uh, trying to re-establish themselves or just rethink what they do and how they do it is it do we do things differently can we carry on as normal those that just think oh it's just the same you're just carrying as normal then i think you're going to hit hurdles on the way so you've got to think slightly differently about things and so um every band's now going through those challenges about well what do we do next how do we do things differently how do we keep audiences entertained how do we keep the band entertained because it's not about just the audiences being happy but it's about the band being happy as well so um those adjustments have led to uh i think uh, a little bit more space actually in the diary and uh then other projects come in of course so you know there's other recording projects that come up there's other festivals that come in there's homegrown concerts um there's the fact that i can work on uh quartet projects and doing trombone ensemble days and things like that so it doesn't mean that i'm necessarily any less busy but I've got more variety and it's not just doing a concert every Saturday and Sunday, 52 weeks of the year. So it's been, it's been a really rewarding couple of years for me. Actually, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I understand the variety that, that I'm sure you enjoy, but it is a long time to have such a degree of commitment. And often people on the outside might assume that being part of a band like Black Dyke is only something you can do for so long because it is intense and you're traveling and the concerts and the contests and I guess the pressure that comes with wearing that jacket but how do you feel you've been able to maintain that level of commitment all this time? It's That's quite straightforward in that when I first joined the band it was very very difficult. I found it almost impossible. Um, and so then uh, the opportunity came where the second trombone player, a guy called Paul Woodward in 2003, so I'd been in the band for three years, said, oh, he's going to have to finish because of commitment. You know, it's just too intense. I think the busiest time the band had was in 2005 when we uh, won quite a number of con uh, contests. We won quite a number of different contests, whether it be 
Open National or Euros. And as a result of that, then what tends to happen is a lot of festivals will say, oh, well, who's the Open champion this year? Let's get them in. Who's the national champion? Let's get. So we then ended up doing about 75, 80 gigs in one year. Uh, and that was brutal. So I thought, this is this is getting ridiculous. So the second trombone player was going to finish because of commitment. I thought, well, why don't, because he was a good player, why doesn't he come in and fill in for me so that when I can't make something, um, I can I, I can make things work? And then he would come in and do the rehearsal before with me, and uh, we would plan the diary a good 12, 18 months in advance. He was very organised. I was very organised. And that was a wonderful situation that lasted... Uh, for the next 10 years so I had a co-principal there for 10 years and he probably did 10% maybe of the gigs sometimes more and this very long trip in I think it was 2010 around about 2010 to New Zealand and Australia I was away for seven weeks from the band now you're going to come back and get sacked it's just going to happen you know, but I didn't um, I, because I'd got a co-principal uh, and Paul did a really good job. Uh, I came back fully expecting then to be uh, given my marching orders. And Nick said, no, he says, uh, Paul's filled in. You've had this arrangement where you've got a co-principal. You're the one that's thought about it. You organize all the stuff. You've done a really good job of that. Uh, business as usual. Thanks very much. So uh, I then did another four years. I then had my sabbatical and that was great. I enjoyed that, actually, because I did some different things and I think it's important to stay stimulated and interested in what you do is to have different uh types of playing and to sort of rejuvenate and think about what it is that you do um I was still traveling around an awful lot but I had a little bit more freedom uh, and could say yes or no for about 18 months and then um I I ended up doing the Europeans anyway in 2015, which was the year off that I had uh, at Dyke. And then in 2016, one of the test pieces came up that I'd already played previously with the band. So Nick was quite keen that I sort of assist with that. That was uh, one of the Peter Graham pieces. Triumph of Time, there we are. Triumph of Time, yes. And yes, it's yes. got some fiendishly uh, difficult lip trills in it. So I ended up being asked to come in just to play the lip trills. That was my job, just lip trill specialist and leave everything else. So I thought, yeah, that's fine. But anyway, then uh, Chris Bins had the opportunity to do some um, orchestral auditions. He had three trials come up. And so I advised him. I said, look, you'd be silly not to put absolute maximum effort into that. Uh, you can always go back to uh, brass banding. And I said, I'm very happy just to fill in as necessary. You go and do your trials and then come back to the band. So he went and did his trials. But then he thought, no, actually, he's just going to do his trials. So he left me to it. And then um, that was 2016. And so here we are in 2023 and I'm still there. So I have no idea where I'm still there. I should have been, you know, pensioned off by now, but uh, I'm still enjoying it. I've still got lots of projects to look forward to. I've got the freedom to do other things. So I've now got another co-principal who's a fabulous player in uh, a gentleman called um, Mr. Warburton. So that's... Um, that's he's at the Royal Northern College of Music now, and uh, he comes in and fills in for me. Um, he plays for the Hammonds Band as well. And so that means that because he does Tuesday and Thursday nights, he can make Monday nights with Black Dyke and then he's ready for a concert. And he's filling in for me, for instance, for the next two weeks. So um, he, he does a really, really good job. Um, I've been teaching him. He's probably one of my longest um, students that I've had. So um I think I was teaching him from 
I dread to think. It's been a long time anyway. And so um, he, he's he's really easy to get on with. He sits in the section uh, and uh, does a lot of listening and, and uh, observing and then gets on with it. And it's just he's really easy to work with. So Adam, um, as well as being one of my best students that I've had, he's, he's now co-principal of the band. So that's how I do it. I managed to... Uh, I still get clashes. I've had uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a six piece concert up in the northeast of England and that clashed with um, a Black Dyke gig that came in last minute. And so uh, I ended up having to get a gentleman called Dan Edison in, who's also uh, helped us out from time to time uh, because Adam was playing uh, with Hammonds at the French Open. So I needed to get somebody in. And so uh, I've I've got lots of people. <laughs> the, the reason I set up a junior quartet and a youth quartet and a senior quartet is that I've got access to lots of players. So I'm never short of somebody that can come and fill in. Um, and it means that we can do some really exciting projects, uh, trombone ensemble wise, but also if I'm short of a player, um, there's there's no shortage of players uh, that are very happy to come in and play with the band that I trust will do a good job. So um, it wouldn't be possible and it wouldn't have happened if I'd been there full time. It just, and I say full time, I am there full time, but I'm probably uh, on on the, um, if you look at it in employment terms, I'm probably on a 0.9 rather than uh, a, a 10. Um, and that works very, very well. Uh, and that said, when I'm there, I'm totally committed to it and I'm still loading the bus like everybody else. But um, I, I do get a degree of flexibility that wouldn't be possible otherwise. Um, so, Brett, let's go back then before the days of Black Dyke. How did you first come to pick up a musical instrument? I can't remember that far back, Lou. That's so long ago for me. That's back in 18-something or other. Um, so it, it's... Um, it, this is this is a sad story, actually. And I, I, I wish it wasn't true, but this is the truth. So um, my father's very much into sport. Um, and so he was uh, into his rugby and into cricket and into football and in all uh, it's a village called bream b-r-e-a-m like the fish uh, which is where i grew up and um it's a rather large village so they've got a rugby team and they've got a football team and they've got a male voice choir and they've got a brass band so they've got all these things and uh my father would sort of say okay well let's see what you like at pool oh you're really rubbish at pool and snooker Let's see what you like at judo. Let's put you in the ring with somebody that's twice your size and see if they can basically knock you out a couple of times. So that happened. And so I wasn't very successful at judo, quite like rugby. Uh, but again, I was up against people that were um, a lot older than me. And uh, so that was that was tricky. So that the, my father is, is a, a musician. He uh, sings in a choir, sings in a male voice choir the Monmouth Male Voice Choir, which hasn't been going that long. Uh, he's uh, sung as a as a soloist. He's he's taken, nearly took part in Britain's Got Talent. Nearly did that, but then he bottled it last minute. Uh, so he's a very accomplished singer and a good musician. And he played the trombone and was in the, uh, one of the, T, what would have been the TA bands back in the 1970s. And so um used to do quite a bit of playing. And I think out of desperation and exasperation, he said, look, I'm going to take you down to the brass band because you're just rubbish at all these other things. You can't play rugby to my standard and pool to my standard and judo and boxing. Broke my nose in boxing. Thanks, Dad. Um, so um, all that stuff 
Um, and if I'd been given a bit more time with it and maybe I was a bit older, I probably would have taken to some of that stuff. I, I, I enjoyed uh, being in the air training corps and, and doing the sort of uh, the, the, the uh, flying airplanes and the shooting and the theory that I enjoyed all that. But at one point I needed to decide, OK, so are you going to take this trombone plane seriously or not? And I think the um, point at which that came was... Um, I joined uh, the Libbrook band and I was having lessons from Robert Morgan, who I'm sure you're aware of. Uh, he was um, part of the Brass Band Federation as it was before it became BBE. And he was my teacher, cornet player. And he said, right, you're going to go along to the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain and we're going to take you down for an audition. So I went to Oxford, which isn't that far away from Gloucestershire anyway, and had an audition there. And I can uh, remember it was John Maines that auditioned me and it was uh, Roy Newsom was taking the course. And I did the audition. I got in. And so that was a massive eye opener for me in terms of. So this is what uh, the standard of playing at a national level is all about. It's all very well being quite good in your region. But then when you think you're quite good and then you're up against these uh, national players from up north, as a lot of them were, um, you think, wow, I've got loads of work to do. So I really started practicing seriously and thought I've got something to aim for now. I need to be better than these players that are in this band. So I worked at it and uh, the National Youth Band was an amazing experience for me to do that and open my eyes to other possibilities and think that, yeah, actually, if I stick at it, I can be pretty good. So I then progressed to Flowers Band um, and uh, did some things there. And at university, sadly, I decided to go to the University of Salford not because they had the best economics course in the country, but because there's a certain David King with a brass band course there. So I went and did business economics for three years, but I actually took part in the brass band course and I played in the band and taught at the college as it was then because they merged whilst I was a student there. So um, these various opportunities that took place, if they hadn't happened, then I probably would have remained well i mean who knows you, you you never really know but i think i would have remained in the area of gloucestershire um there are there aren't an awful lot of opportunities in the forest of dean it's it's a very rural area um uh, it, it's so it's it's difficult and uh, i was lucky to get some sponsorship for my degree from a local company um and so i was able to go back there for a few years and do that but i think i got the bug for brass bands and trombone playing as a result of uh, what I did in the National Youth Band and the friendships that I formed at Lidbrook and Flowers Band and then uh, Pestering Fairies Band, which was in 1992. And my uh, colleague that played next to me in the National Youth Band was somebody called Simon Johnson, who uh, then ended up with the BBC up in Scotland. And so he said to me, "There's uh, he's leaving Fairies Band, so a position's going to come up. And uh, I, I said, really? And he says, yeah. He says, I'm I'm doing a lot more, you know, professional stuff now. I'm just not going to have time to do it. So you should go for the the position. So I did get in touch with the band several times. They said, there's no vacancy. There's 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 nothing here. I said, yeah, there is. I've spoken to your solo trombone player, and I was <laughs> speaking to the second trombone player who works at Williams Ferry Engineering, saying there's no position for you in the band. Uh, Simon staying in the band. So uh, I thought, okay. Fine. So then I rang Cyril Howarth, who was the band manager at the time. I said, I'd like to come for an audition. I'm being told that there isn't a position, but I'm also being told by the solo trombone player, there will be a position. I'm I'm being proactive here. and I want to come and audition before the vacancy comes up. 
so eventually I did come up and do some um, some recordings with the band in July and I stayed up in the area and it was just a different world. It was like going to Mars, going to Stockport from the Forest of Dean. <laughs> it really was a different world. Um, and so I got immersed in the whole sort of brass band thing that happens. And I went to these things called band clubs where brass bands play and, and entertain audiences. And it was just... Uh, it was just really, really foreign to me, but I, but it was it was great. It was good fun. There was a lot of uh, close um, close associations that formed from then um, going up to fairies, then going to Salford University, getting in with the uh, the band program there and doing that, and things sort of escalated from there. And I, I just worked really hard at that time to then become as good a player as I could. And I wasn't really interested in the whole orchestral thing because. I didn't want to sit there reading a book and and reading bars rest and then losing my place and coming in the wrong place because I was very, very poor at counting. Your early musical life was in and around the Forest of Dean in Gloucestershire. In 1989, you moved to Flowers Band and you were principal trombone of the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain. In 1992, you were then a brass semi-finalist of the BBC Young Musician of the Year in Manchester. Things then were obviously starting to get serious. So was a career in music inevitable for you? Not at all. Um, my parents said to me I should get a proper job and go and be a bank manager. And so that was always in the back of my mind, which is why I did an economics degree. Um, in all seriousness, I, re I really hated it. I enjoyed economic history and I enjoyed that aspect of the course, uh, but I really didn't enjoy the statistics. It was just brutal so i spent far too much of my time uh practicing and going along and taking part in the brass band course when and so i got a 2-2 for my degree that's known as a drinker's degree but actually it wasn't from that at all it was just the fact i was focusing on music so much and i was really enjoying it and so i then went on and i did uh, an advanced certificate in business and did that and then i went back down south and, and worked in this company uh as um the original equipment sales manager. Basically, I was the person that would work with the big companies um, that needed our products um, on a national and international basis. And that, that company had sponsored me through that. And I thought I need to go and put some time back into that company because I worked through the Easter and the Christmas and the summer with them. And it, it paid off any debts that I had. So I was really pleased with that. Um, and I wasn't going to be a musician. So I then stayed there until the year 2000. So I was then 26. And it was actually at the age of 26 that I thought, I'm just not going anywhere. I'm, yeah, I'm playing in Flowers Band and I was chairman of Flowers Band and uh, and they were doing really well. They were going up through the um, the rankings and, and they'd then gone into the British Open and they were qualifying for the Nationals then at that point. Um, but it just wasn't, it wasn't enough for me. So I thought, why don't I go up, back up to Manchester and I'll do uh, a performance course and I'll see if I can make it as a professional musician. Now, um, I didn't actually make it as a professional musician. I made it as a semi-professional musician. I mean, people will say to you, in all fairness, oh, well, I, you know, I'm a professional musician. That means that they're probably teaching, conducting, playing, arranging it doesn't mean that they solo every weekend whatever they might tell you that's going to be a lie people don't do that but uh so to say that i make um 
money out of playing. Yes, that is correct. But um, my day job, and I've always had a day job, has been anything from being a, an ICT teacher in a school to uh, being a business development man manager for a web development agency uh, to being a program leader at a university uh, to being the general manager of an instrument manufacturing company to then being the marketing lead of Dennis Wick Products. So I've always had a day job. And I've always managed to practice within the restraints of that day job and then go to rehearsals. And that's just been my life. So it's a hectic life. It is a hectic life. My blood pressure is through the roof, but um, it's it's enjoyable and it's it's a it's a good life to have. I enjoy what I do. And now I wouldn't be able to do anything else. But at the time, I thought, yeah, I'm going to end up being in that. I'll be that bank manager in a local branch somewhere uh, with a three-piece suit doing whatever bank managers do. Are you able to pick out some of the highlights, contesting, touring, or otherwise? I guess I'm too brutally honest, Lily. You're gonna, you can. This. Uh, I hope none of this gets back. All this stuff yeah. that's going out now. We're gonna have to make a decision here which bits we cut. But um, <laughs> the best bits have been it's it's strange so for instance one of my uh i'd say that before joining black dyke one of my uh just amazing moments was the last competition that major parks did with fairies band that was emotional um and then a gentleman called jim gawley came in so that was 94 we didn't do very well but it was still an emotional performance and then in 95 we played revelation uh, and we got second place to a certain Black Dyke band. And that's probably one of the finest performances I've ever experienced. And there were several band members. These were these were very, very unemotional veteran players that were crying their eyes out uh, because it was their last gig with a band uh, in 1995. And we got second on Revelation. And it was it was an amazing performance with Jim Gawley. Uh, and then did a few more years with Fairies, moved back down south, came back up to Dyke. So actually in terms of performances yes you'd expect me to say 2005 we've won the europeans and what a great thing and i do remember that performance because it was extreme makeover and it's a really rock hard trombone part so i loved playing it and it was it was a great performance uh, i remember roger webster played really really well after some problems he had uh, backstage with some super glue in his lip but he played fabulously well it was just awesome um and the band played well and we won then so i remember that but actually the things that stick in my mind over the last 20 years are things like going to bermuda and having a week in bermuda i mean who gets to do that in a brass band but we just basically i was in a swimming pool uh in the day and then doing rehearsals in the evening and then going and having uh some wonderful rum and great food and then do the same thing the next day for five days and then at the end of the week, we had to do a concert. And I thought, no, this is, this is, if this is professional playing, I want a bit more of this. So that was great. Um, and then there's other highlights like um, going to Australia and playing there. And there are some fabulous concert halls in Australia. Sydney Opera House was not one of them. That was like playing in a barn. I really didn't enjoy that. But there are some, some amazing uh, venues over there. And I know a lot of uh, just, uh, fantastic people personally that that i know over there anyway so it was lovely to go and do that um and then uh touring new zealand uh, as a soloist was was a highlight um and then uh some of the europeans 
not for the playing, although the playing is exceptional from all the bands in the European, as you'd expect, but just some of the fun that I've had uh, with the various bands, whether it be the Norwegians, the Swiss, we've just always had a really good time and we've all got on. And it, it doesn't feel like, uh, it, it feels different to when you go and do the British Open and the Nationals, um, where bands just support each other and they get on with each other and they socialise with each other. It's not tribal. Um and you'll know what I mean because you've been and done many of the Scottish areas and how tribal it can be. So um, that's a lovely experience. And then uh, that that's that's the things that stick out for me. It's not the contests as such and the winning because you could say I did all that stuff at fairies anyway, and you know, winning an open and a nationals and a European, and that's all great. But actually, it's the new experiences at Dyke that were good. Going to Glastonbury or going to um, going and playing at the proms in the Albert Hall because it's a different atmosphere to playing at a contest at the Albert Hall. Those are the things that were magical and would stick out because it would be very rare for any other band to get those opportunities for whatever reason. Um, but that's why those have been unique and um, things that have been exceptional that I've enjoyed in the band. In any band, Brett, we know there are peaks and crofts, perhaps periods of huge success followed by periods of rebuilding. We know Black Dyke is a great band, but can you point to any spells during your time with Black Dyke where you've thought the band's really been at the peak of its powers? Maybe allied to contest success, maybe not, but are there some eras that you look back on when you've been involved, you think, blimey, that was actually a great band? Absolutely. I'm glad you phrased it that way in a positive way than saying, so is there any periods in which the band has been really rough? Because I could mention a number. I think that 1996 Fairies Band was probably the best band that I played in at that time. And we won absolutely nothing. And it was an exceptional band. It was just too good. Um, so then when I first went to Dyke, and again, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I would say that I my father and I both raised an eyebrow when we walked into the band and I did the first rehearsal in Black Dyke and the standard was not what I was expecting. Um, and I won't say whether that was good or bad, but it wasn't what I was expecting. And then after a bit of rebuilding from that year, 2000, um, by 2001, so within space of just over a year, the band was uh, much much different to that and and we did get a, a, a nationals uh, win out of that and it's not always that the best bands win but you you know you expect to be up there in the frame if if the band is playing well uh whether that be any band you know if if, if a if a top class band is is firing on all cylinders you expect to be in the frame somewhere and so the band was very good then um during that period of time in 2001 uh, then it, as as all bands do, there was a bit of a lull, and then uh, two thousand and five came along, and we we had a very successful period then, and it was a very fine band. Um, and then it's almost like it goes in waves of every five years, because when you look at the contest results, and you look at twenty ten, the band was doing well. You look at twenty fifteen, the band was doing well. Uh, the exception was twenty twenty, but I think there was this thing called a pandemic that got in the way. So I'm not sure uh, what how how it all hangs together now but uh and if you look at other bands that will remain nameless there's also um this sort of peak and trough 
scenario that goes on with a lot of them, with the exception being perhaps to mention Corey Band, which has had such a sustained success that it's almost unbelievable that it's come to an end because I just thought it was going to go on forever and that I was going to be a grey old man still having to go to the Nationals watching Corey win every contest. And they deserve to. They they work extremely hard. There's a fabulous band around the stand and a fabulous conductor. But um, in some ways, uh, the banding movement needs uh, that little bit of ebb and flow and for different things to happen and for it to stay interesting. Uh, and I'd say this if it was Black Dyke winning everything, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want that. I think it just becomes boring for everybody else. So um, I think the next couple of years are going to be interesting from the point of view that it could be a Corey or a Black Dyke or a Foden's or a Brickhouse. And who knows? It's not is there's no dead certain um result over uh the next um couple of years which is which is exciting and i'm I, in some ways i just want to do the best that i can and play to the best of my ability and hope that the section does a good job and then that the band does a good job that's more important to me than than winning that we we put on a good show and so if i look at this year's europeans um I was delighted with the way the band played uh, on both performances and the fact that we got second to a band where 80% of those young players had never played at a Europeans ever before. I thought that was fabulous for them. Uh, I'm in a minority there, as you can imagine. There's other people that would disagree with that, but I think it's great that um, young players that the enthusiasm that they had, they had no idea how good a band they had till they went on stage and won a contest, but they are exceptional. And I know a lot of the players there. I've worked with them uh, as a tutor over the years. And so to see what they did, I, I was, I was really proud of them. It is going to be exciting as you see how things play out in the coming months, both domestically and further afield. During the course of our conversation so far, Brett, you've already mentioned a few names, but tell me about some of the figures who've played a major role, you'd say, in your development, whether as a musician or as a trombone player, some of those key cornerstones along the way. Uh, so my father got me into playing uh, to start with, and then he basically just said, here's a trombone, away you go. Uh, but he did start me off and he would come in and, and do uh, the odd sort of bit of playing with me and sort of we trade off tunes. And so that that got me started. Um then uh, at Bream Band, um, there's a gentleman called Brian Nelms, who actually was the teacher there and a lovely guy in the junior band called Dave Rudge, who was a percussionist. And I often say this when I go around to bands, actually, where people will say, oh, you know, there's no point having uh, a lesson off that person because they're a drummer. So what can they teach you on trombone? I disagree with that, because if somebody is enthusiastic and they make things fun, then you are learning something and you are getting something out of it. So Dave Rudge was certainly that person that inspired me and uh, and allowed me to enjoy rehearsals and, and just enjoy what I was doing, which was great. Um, from there, then it would be Robert Morgan, who I've mentioned before. Absolutely um, key person in, in my life in terms of getting me to go to the, not getting me to, but well, he, he physically drove me to the National Youth Band. So I couldn't get out of going and uh said you're going to audition there was there was no i guess there was no disagreement there because it was going to happen robert's like you're going there you're doing this audition you're playing this piece but he was um 
very influential and uh, has, has been a, a, a wonderful supportive person throughout my life actually and then Lyndon Baglin was my teacher for a period of time uh, when he was conducting Libbrook I joined he left <laughs> and so then I thought right the only way I'm going to get lessons off this guy is to go and have some lessons off this guy so I then and, and had had a number of lessons off Lyndon a guy called Danny Hannaby in Cardiff, who was at the BBC Welsh at the time, also then gave me some lessons. And then Steve Walkley. Um, and he was always uh, a player that I wanted to have lessons off. I'd listen to him at fairies. I'd listen to him at Sun Life Band. And so that was great to have some lessons off Steve Walkley. And then, um, without a doubt, things massively changed when I then moved up north and then started to have lessons off David King. So part of our arrangement... And this is the thing about Dave King is that he is so generous with his time and such a an, um, an amazing musician that I think uh, people can forget that sometimes because he is eccentric, whether he likes it or not. You might not like me saying that, but he's an eccentric um, and uh, he's perhaps misunderstood. But for me, he was a massive turning point in my career to make me think, well, actually, it's not just about being a good player in your local band it's about being the best player and being the best player in your local band and then the best player in the region and then the best player in the country and that's what he sort of taught me and inspired me to do and worked with me so that I became uh, as good as I could become and it's one of his favorite phrases I remember him saying to me once yes it's better but is it best and he would often say that and that's always stuck with me and a lot of his techniques are using my own teaching. Um, so he was a massive influence. Um, the major at Fairies has been a massive influence. Uh, his son was a trombone player. So he used to give me quite a hard time sitting there at Fairies because it had to be good. Um, and then Jim Gourlay similarly was uh, a massive influence, as was Roy Newsom at the um, National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain. And then Bram Tovey was a big influence as well. Um, he was there. This is before he was officially the um, conductor of the National Youth Brass Band, the musical director. He came and guested a couple of times when Roy was the musical director, and that that had a big influence on me. Um, and then uh, I was lucky to have lessons off people like uh, Andy Berryman and then Chris Holding. Um, so I started then uh, having lessons off trombone players, and I think that's maybe one of the things that makes me a little bit different is that a lot of my teachers were cornet players uh, both early on and then David King whilst I was um, at fairies. And so it meant that there wasn't this sort of thing where, oh, well, trombone players can't do that. You can't play slurs and you can't play fast and you can't play high. Uh, and some people might argue I can't, but I tried to do it anyway. Um, and so, and these were people that were saying, yeah, you, you, why can't you do that? Just because nobody else thinks it's possible doesn't mean it's not possible. And so I would work at these things and I would play these solos like Hailstorm and Bride of the Waves because I could, or I wanted to. And so I, I worked at it. And so they were massive influences. Um, and I think then the other important thing to say is that I've always been happy to take advice from anybody. Um, I'm in a situation where I've never sat next to a second trombone player that's been young to me, younger than me. It's never happened. So in my, in my whole career, 
from the age of 10 till now, the second trombone player has always been older than me. So I've learned from the second trombone player. I don't always listen to them, but I've learned from them. Uh, and and I accept that they're experienced and more experienced than me, and they've got something that they can teach me. So um, I'm very aware of that. And uh, it, I, th I think that's also a, a, one of my qualities in that I'm quite prepared to take on board anything from anybody. So I, I would have lessons off famous bass trombone players and famous violin players and famous trumpet players and it's been invaluable to me it's worked really well so um i've taken any advice that i can and then i'll tend to filter it and use it for my own purposes and that's been um part of my um approach and then of course over the last 20 years i'd have to mention nick i mean nick childs has been um <laughs> it's i'm pausing because it's how how do you describe nicholas childs to somebody that's not met him before uh because he's also uh he, he's also eccentric in some ways he's different he his approach is different um but what nick has always been great at is uh being really frank and honest to me um and uh if i've got something to say he'll listen to it which is good i guess from my point of view um but he'll also he's given me the freedom to make my own mistakes and go my own way and do things and then come back and then go away again and he has often you know had a raw smile wry smile on his face uh from the point of view of saying yeah this is going to go wrong for you but i'm going to let you do it anyway um and so he's been great at that in terms of supporting and then stepping away when he needs to and then coming back and saying well yeah i could have told you that was going to happen but here we are let's carry on and do what we were doing Really fascinating to hear of those names there. And I'm not going to ask you how much longer you think you're going to be in the situation where the second trombone player is going to be older than you. But your musical life does, of course, extend beyond Black Dyke and you enjoy a very busy time as a soloist as well. And you've commissioned a considerable body of work for the trombone. How important has that been to you to widen the repertoire available to the instrument? That's been a mission, really. Um, I've listened to lots of trombone players, lots of other brass band instrumentalists, whether they be flugel players or baritone players, grumble about the fact they've not got enough repertoire. And so I thought, well, the only way this is going to change is if you make the change, you make things happen. So from an early age, from when I went to Salford, I was working with composers and I... I guess that's the other thing that I enjoy doing as well is the collaboration aspect of trying things, seeing if it works, changing it, going back to the composer. And of course, some people will say, I'm not changing it. And that's fine. And then other people will go, absolutely. If you think that's going to work better, then let's do it. And in the instances where that has happened and I've had a really close collaboration with that composer, it's absolutely made a better piece there's no doubt about it that the pieces have been much enhanced from just then having um that point of view of well a trombone player can do this but if you want it to sound really good then let's do it this way and write these notes or write it in this style or whatever it was and um so i've had about a hundred pieces written uh and yes sometimes it's cost me a bit of money but I would say that I do drive a hard bargain and I do always give them uh, fame and glory rather than fortune. I think I would sell uh, to composers normally and say, yeah, like, yes, I could pay you this amount of money, but I'm not going to because you're going to get this piece played 
in various places in really prestigious concert halls and surely that's better for you and sometimes they say no but often they say yes and so uh i i do like um pushing the boundaries of the instrument particularly in the brass band um arena and i think that is important um i'm a little bit worried if i'm honest and i hope this doesn't sound arrogant but i'm a little bit worried that there's nobody else doing that and i i think that's a shame i don't know why other people don't think i'll get a piece commissioned um and i'll because it's it's not happening as much as I thought it would. And uh, maybe it's that people aren't as persuasive as me rather than it's a lack of them wanting to do it. I don't know. But uh, I am passionate about getting new pieces written. But also then, whether it be trombone quartets, whether it be trombone ensembles, whether it be duets, I've also had quite a few commissions in that area. And um, one of my pieces that I'm most proud of actually was a commission that I uh, asked Phil Harper to write it's called Beneath the Willows and it's a flugel solo for flugel and brass band and it's got some uh, quite a difficult euphonium part and three trombones but it's a flugel solo that was written for Flowers Band and I asked Phil Harper to write a four minute piece for um, brass in concert and it was three minutes 59 uh, he's he was just great so he's he's written a couple of pieces for me and they've they've been fabulous i just wish he had more time because i'm sure i would get him to write more if that was the case um so no that is an important aspect of what i do um and i hope other people will start being encouraged to do that sort of thing because as you rightly say it's not going to be much longer that i'm going to get somebody a that's older than me sat on second trombone but <laughs> b that's um I'm going to be there for, uh, you know, who knows how much longer. But uh, so there needs to be other people coming up through. So, Brett, you are one of the most recorded brass soloists and you have recorded numerous albums of your own. What is your favourite album, either of your own or one that you have partaken in? And what makes it so special? My favourite album is the first one that I ever did. And that's uh, with Fairy's band called Bone Idol or Bone Adeel. And I like that CD, not because of my playing on it, because I, I hate listening to myself play, which I know sounds weird when I've done all these recordings. But there's a reason why I do recordings. It's to make me better. If I listen back and I think that doesn't come over as I want it to, so I need to change. And hopefully people will listen to various CDs and go, there is a... Uh, that you can hear a change in maturity as I've got older and things sound different and hopefully better. They don't always sound better, but um, I've, I've tried to go on this uh, journey where I use the CDs to motivate me to, uh, to, to stretch the boundaries of my playing. Um, but that said, that first CD is always going to be special because it was the first CD and it was a fabulous band accompanying um, there's others that then stick out, like uh, Contrasts, which is a CD I did with Black Dyke Band uh, just a few years ago. Um, and then there's some unusual projects where I'd work with a, a Salvation Army band. So I can remember working with Boscombe, for instance, and that was a really special project for me, uh, doing um, a brand new commission of Ray Stedman Allen. Uh, so that was that was good. So um, I've got some favourites. Uh, but certainly Bone Idol and Contrasts would uh, stand out as projects that I'm I'm really proud of. None of the CDs, um, I would say, are awful, but there are some where I think, did I really do that? Did I really wear that on the front of that CD? But that's um, 
it's all part of uh, of the journey and the experience and i think i'm a better player from doing those projects and I'm one of these players that I push myself and uh, will practice for long periods of time to almost like uh, working towards a marathon when I do a CD project. So I'll be doing lots and lots of work. And then uh, I can play pretty much for eight hours straight on a recording project with very few breaks. So the band are absolutely sore and I still want to keep going. And <laughs> so uh, I'm sure that time will end uh as 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 time marches forward but i've been lucky in that i'm quite uh, an inexpensive artist because i can do things very efficiently and they don't have to stop for me to rest so that that's why i've managed to be able to do a number of projects because uh i'm i'm not very costly in the recording studio in your free time you also raise substantial funds for the National Youth Brass Band of Great Britain's Bursary Funds by doing things such as hill climbing and running, even on your 50th birthday. You have the utmost dedication to raising money for this worthy cause, but why is it so important to you? It is important to me because uh, my, it's going to sound a little bit of a sob story now, but so my family lived in a council house uh, when I was growing up. And even though my grandparents were farmers and lived in a in a pretty nice farmhouse and had had a bit of land, um, certainly on my dad's side they were quite they were quite poor, um, and sometimes there wouldn't be enough money to to have food on the table. So it was you know it was it was a struggle at times, and so I couldn't afford to go to the National Youth Bank uh, courses, and so. Um, I'm one thing I am quite good at is writing fancy letters. So I would write to um, a local millionaire who will remain nameless and say, I can't afford to go to this course, um, but I, I could really do with some help. Now, I'm not the sort of person that asks for handouts either. So I'm not into that. I, I like to earn my money. So what I used to do is go and garden. I was this millionaire's gardener for every weekend every saturday morning i would go and guard for him and when i went to uni my mother took on that job and was getting paid for it so she did all right out of it actually um so i would do that but i also wrote to uh the school the high school that i went to and they had a bursary fund because it used to be uh they had a foundation where there used to be a grammar school and then they changed from a grammar school to uh, a comprehensive and uh, they had some money available. And one of the players that played in the local band and, and knew my father said, yeah, if you write to this foundation uh, and, and send a, you know, a, a letter explaining what you want the money for and why you want to do the, the courses. And I did. And they supported me throughout the three years that I played for the National Youth Press Band. And I only played the three years. I'm not like some of these people that did 20 courses. I just did three years. Um, Plus, of course, I was actually then invited back to do the recording, uh, the 40 Years Young recording. Um, and if it wasn't for those uh, people that were supportive. And uh, so, for instance, I couldn't afford to travel to or I say I couldn't. My father and mother didn't have the money to put petrol in the car to take me to Flowers Band, which was 20 miles away. So a band member called Michael James, will embarrass him now, used to come from 20, well, 10 miles north, drive down to my house, pick up me and a gentleman called Steve Jones, who plays for Corey Band on drums. You might have heard of him. He's, he's, he's not that good. He's a terrible drummer, really. Uh, but he would, <laughs> they would pick up Steve Jones, myself, 
Uh, and also then what was to be my wife, Sarah, used to pick us all up and take us to band. And I couldn't afford to get to band otherwise. I just, you know, there's no way my father would have taken me that distance. So there's a lot of people. Uh, and, and to go to Libbrook Band, Robert Morgan would come and pick me up from my house and I had to travel down to the end of the road. So I did have to show some commitment. So I would travel half a mile down the road. I'd get picked up and I'd be taken to band rehearsal. And then somebody else would bring me back home because uh, my father couldn't afford to take me to band. So if it wasn't for these people helping me, then uh, who knows what would have happened. But I'm very keen, therefore, this is my way of giving something back uh, and try and help the next generation of players, brilliant tutors brilliant conductors and great experiences with fabulous people whether it be wales scotland uh great britain and i've been involved in as a, as a result of this year all three of those organizations and all of them are great and so i'll always support those sort of things because i think it's really important that kids get those skills of timekeeping discipline socializing <laughs> i find that's one of the hardest things young people do these days is they don't know how to socialize those are really important skills so and being away from home for some people and it was for me it was the first time i'd ever spent any time away from home when i went on the national youth band course and it was scary and it is for other young people that i teach and some of them refuse to do it because they don't want to leave home but um, as much as I can, I want to give those kids confidence and experience and tuition. So that's why I do it. So you've also travelled to many places such as the United States of America, Malmo, New Zealand and Australia, to name a few. What is your favourite place that you have travelled to and why? That is a really tricky question, because um, if I mention some place, somebody somewhere will get offended. Um <laughs> Brazil and the Brazilian festivals have been amazing. Uh, Trombonanza in Argentina and Isla Verde in Argentina, just fabulous people, wonderful people that I would not have got to meet if I was anything other than a musician. They're absolutely wonderful. The International Trombone Association festivals that have been in many different countries, including Birmingham uh, in the UK, but mainly in the United States, have managed to have some uh, wonderful experiences as a soloist going and working with different bands and relying on the generosity of those bands to put me up and to put on a concert and uh, entertain me as well as me entertaining them I guess and uh, that's been wonderful I've had some great experiences as a result of that. Brett I'm aware that time is marching on and you've been very generous with your time for Lily and I uh, today so as we sit here just now, you've enjoyed and you continue to enjoy this multifaceted career, performer, educator, conductor, adjudicator, marketing expert. I know you wear several hats. What is the balance of life looking like then over the coming weeks and months for Brett Baker? I think that because I have that uh, unique uh, variety in terms of what I do with my job and what I do with... Um, from a, a sort of music career point of view. Um, I do enjoy the conducting. I'm working with a fabulous band, I should mention them, Poulton Lee Filed Band up in Blackpool. They're really flexible and uh, they, they've been just great in terms of um, me setting out my stall and saying, I worry about the music, you worry about everything else. I'm going to turn up and conduct and make you better 
if I can, and you do everything else. And they've absolutely stuck to that. And it's been fabulous. Really enjoyed working with them. They're a lovely bunch. So I'm enjoying conducting because I, I'm, I must be frank in that I've not always enjoyed my conducting experiences. Uh, they've been many and varied. That's not to say that coming in as a conductor and working with bands uh, and doing workshops uh, and one-offs, I always enjoy those. They're always wonderful things. But certainly if I've had a tenure with a band, um, then sometimes I've I've really enjoyed it. Uh, but then other times it's been quite frustrating. And I guess uh, I've talked to other people that played in Black Dyke. And when you get used to having a full band, and not having to worry about people not being around the stand and then come in as a conductor and you don't get a full band. It's frustrating. And it doesn't matter how I look at it. It's it's a frustrating thing. And I guess I've learned over the years that if there's a situation where there isn't a full band, I turn it into a workshop. That's all I can do. It's pointless working on some pieces if I've got 15 players rather than 26. So I'll turn it into a workshop and I'll make it benefit the players. I say make it. I'll try and make it benefit the players that are there. And often they've really appreciated that and thought, well, yeah, it is a waste of time doing a rehearsal. But I think that's a thing that we've got to be aware of these days is that it's increasingly difficult to get players around the stand and to get full bands around the stand. And I'm well aware of that. Um, but that's what I'm I'm striving for and trying to do. Uh, so conducting is a big part of what I do now. Teaching is a big part of what I do still. Playing is still a big part of what I do. And basically, I need nine days a week. And if I had that, then I'd be fine. The, the Dennis Wick aspect, believe it or not, is four days a week. Uh, but I do that over five days. And um, that's worked really well because then it allows me to have uh, those other days to do the teaching and uh, do um, and be able to realize my um, playing commitments. Um, but I would say that there isn't a balance and I would say the work-life balance isn't quite there at the moment, but I'm um, trying to get it into a stage where maybe it's 25% conducting, 25% teaching, 25% playing, 25% administration and that's my free time and then my point eight of a job that i do where i'm working with some amazing artists at dennis wick 140 artists from all around the world and they are just exceptional people to work with it's uh, then uh, made me go and think about things in different ways which has been useful Well then, that was principal trombone player with Black Dyke Band, Brett Baker, reflecting on his life-work balance. And that's it for this first episode of Brass Bands on the Record. What did you make of that, Mark? It was fascinating, Lily, to chat to Brett, wasn't it? He's enjoyed this wonderful longevity at Black Dyke, as well as playing with fairies and flowers, and he's very modest about it all, but it was a pleasure to hear from him for the podcast. Stay tuned then for more to come on Brass Bands on the Record. You can find us where you listen to all your usual podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, please do send us a message on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now. <laughs>